Well, Psalm 1 offers us a particular piece of guidance, and even some broad guidance, about how we might grow the life of God in us. God, God has a vision for your life. God has a vision in your life that includes how you'll use your passions and gifts and abilities and time in meaningful ways, just like we talked about last week. And God also has a more important vision for your life that has something to do with who you will become. Less to do with what you'll accomplish and more to do with who you are. You may remember that great article that I shared with you a while back from David Brooks in the New York Times where he talks about the difference between eulogy virtues and resume virtues. Resume virtues are those gifts, those talents, those things that we develop for the workplace, for a particular job, so that we can get a job and keep a job and succeed at a job. And the eulogy virtues are the ones that people talk about at your funeral. Whether you were kind or brave or honest, whether you were capable of deep and abiding love. Most of us have some kind of sense of the qualities that we need to develop to succeed at work. The things that we need to do to, to, to be professionally successful, to develop the kind of prowess to pull off the things that we want to implement in our professional lives. And, and, and we know we need to do that because we need a paycheck. That's, that feels essential. But accumulating that kind of inner character, becoming the kind of person that radiates a kind of inner light, something that just can't be faked, the way to that isn't often as clear. And so we often find ourselves cutting, cutting those corners in favor of others. However, Brooks says if we only live for external achievement, what will begin to happen is this gap will begin to grow in the deepest parts of ourselves as they go unexplored and unstructured. We'll slip into this kind of self-satisfied mediocrity and grave ourselves on a forgiving curve. We figure as long as we're not hurting anyone and as long as some people like us, we're okay. And we probably are okay, in a way. But we may also find this gap developing between our desired self and our actual self. Between who we are and who God has called and created us to be. And in many ways, the psalmist in Psalm 1 is inviting us to consider how we might begin to close that gap by inviting us to consider two broad ways of life. One way, the psalmist said, leads to a kind of true and ultimate happiness, and the other leads to destruction. Happy are the ones, the psalmist says, who do not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. There is a movement here. Did you notice it? 
There's a movement. A movement that actually points us to what has been the undercurrent of this series on renewal. The idea that how we choose to spend our time, how we choose to spend our days, ultimately accumulates into how we spend our lives, and this accumulation can work in either direction. The Christian life is often referred to as a walk, and we like to think of it as a walk, as a path. We walk with Jesus. We walk with fellow believers in community to grow the life of Christ in us. We desire, as the hymn writer says, a closer walk with Thee. Walking with something or someone can accumulate something positive in us. And we also know what can happen when we start walking with something that we shouldn't be walking with. Sometimes we walk with things that we shouldn't be walking with. Sometimes we walk with those things long enough that we find ourselves standing around with them. And sometimes we stand around with those things so long that we decide to sit down. And that sitting down becomes a kind of meditation where those things that we're walking with and standing with and now sitting with become a part of our psyche. They get etched into our souls. Do you know anybody that started walking with something that wasn't quite good for them? Eventually they were standing around with those things. Eventually they stood around with those things so long that they began to sit down with those things and they sat down for so long that you saw where that sitting was getting them but you couldn't get them up. There seemed to be nothing you could do now to pull them out of that place. There's a progression. An intentional or accidental movement. People get caught up in things, they start walking with things, they move to standing with things and sitting with things. There's a, there's a movement. Is there anything that you've started walking with? Is there anything that you find yourself standing around with? Is there anything that you've been sitting down with and you're just not sure now if you're ever going to be able to get up? It kind of has a grip on you. By the way, most of the things like that that we walk around with are not overtly evil. They, they're just not incredibly helpful. It all happens on a spectrum, and so what we have to do is we have to learn to examine and evaluate our lives, the things we're walking with, standing with, sitting with, and ask the question, is this enriching or eroding my soul? That's how it works. Robert Mulholland Jr. has said that all of life is spiritual formation. Which means that everything in your life, everything that you're giving your attention to, everything that you're spending your time with, everything you're walking around with right now, is forming you spiritually, emotionally, intellectually. And so you need to ask yourself, how many hours a week am I spending on that. How many hours a week are people in my life, in my family, in my household investing in that? 
For instance, how many hours a week are you and your family sitting around with some form of of media, television, movies, social media, commercials, 24-hour cable news stations? How many hours of your week right now are you spending sitting around with that? How many hours a week are you spending sitting with that? How many hours a month are you spending and your family members spending sitting around and walking around and standing around with that? How many hours a year, if you were to accumulate it over the course of a decade or a lifetime, how many hours have you been giving yourself, your life and your attention to that and how is it accumulating in you? How's it forming you? And how does the amount of time you're spending on those things compare to the amount of time you're spending intentionally nurturing the life of God in you? How does it all line up? How do you think it compares over time? Now, life is a mixture and a mess, right? It's, it's, it's ever, never almost, as the psalmist describes, one way or another. It's not quite that binary. It's not quite one thing or another. Most things are somewhere on that spectrum. And so we could punch holes right now in that kind of either-or mentality. But instead of doing that, what I'd like for us to do is consider the question that the psalmist is prompting us to ask about our lives. And that is, how are we spending our days? Because ultimately, how we're spending our days is how we're spending our lives. Our lives are accumulating like that, and that is ultimately the legacy that we are leaving in this place. And this is what the psalmist is inviting us to consider. The fact that we can easily, accidentally immerse ourselves in less than ideal things and they accumulate over time. And the psalmist is inviting us instead to root our lives in the life and the instruction of God. That's what the word law here means in Psalm 1. Most of the time when we see the word law or Torah in the scripture, most often it's referring to the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch. And so that's what the laws are. Or maybe they're the Ten Commandments or maybe they're the, the 600 and plus laws that are, that are in there. But, but here it's really a more broader idea about the instruction of God in our lives. Happy or blessed are those, the psalmist says, who have chosen to root their lives in the soil of God's wisdom and God's ways. For they are like trees planted near a stream of water, as Jackie talked about earlier. So what do we know about a a tree planted near a stream of water? Sort of like this one. What do we know about a tree planted near a stream of water? Well, we know that Unless the water gets polluted, or as long as the stream doesn't for some reason dry up, that this tree has rooted its life in a healthy, life-giving kind of soil. Other trees in other places may crumble or crack due to malnutrition. 
Other trees may have difficulty remaining strong and steadfast in, in, in stormy weather, but if there's water anywhere, it's going to be in this stream. And this tree is planted near that stream. This tree is rooted in trustworthy, wet, life-giving soil. Does that mean that a tornado is not going to come and blow this tree over? Nope. Does that mean that a logging company might not come and cut this tree down if they wanted to? Nope. Does that mean that something someone considers bad might not happen to this tree and it might end this tree's life or impact it in some undesirable way? No. Because like us, this tree lives in the world. And, and because this tree lives in the world, that means this tree has a life that isn't always going to be easy. And yet, amid everything that this tree has to deal with in its life, everything that comes its way, we can be sure of one thing. That there is a trustworthy, constant life source that is keeping this tree healthy, alive, growing, and producing. So if you were a tree and you could be planted anywhere, where would you want to be planted? It's actually a question that could be asked of this tree because the word planted in this psalm actually can be translated transplanted. So there's a movement to the planting of this tree as well. The tree has been transplanted, not just planted, but it was in one place, maybe a dry and arid place, and it's been transplanted now by this life-giving stream of water. If you were a tree, especially in an ancient Near Eastern desert climate, where would you want to be planted? probably near a stream of water. And this is the point. The, the psalmist is telling us something very important about how we can make choices to cultivate our connection with the strengthening, renewing, and restoring life of God in our lives. And perhaps this has never been more important than it is right now. I don't know if we've ever needed stability more than we need it now. I don't know if, if we've ever needed rootedness more than we need it now. I, uh, we, 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 we may not be able to name it, but we're longing for it. The storms of this pandemic and the deepening divisions in our communities across our country are blowing hard against us. And the opportunities to immerse ourselves in things other than the ways and wisdom of God are more accessible now than they have ever been in the history of the world, for good or for ill. We have supercomputers that we keep in our pockets. And those supercomputers can upload information and images into our minds at any moment, for good or for ill. And this reality has come on us so fast, we don't even know what to do with it. We haven't figured out how to manage it yet. And on top of that, the challenges of the past 20 months have upended so many things, including our holy habits. The holy habits that, that, that are the things in our life that, that cultivate resilience 
and renewal and connection with God, the holy habits that followers of Christ have been using to nurture and grow the life of Christ in us for generations. And I hope some of this is is sticking or prompting some questions at the very least. Because the point of all of it is to encourage you to consider how you're choosing to live your life right now. What are you walking with? What are you standing around with? What are you sitting down with? And what kind of soil are you rooting your life in or not? In your worship guide, you'll find an insert with five broad practices on the front and the back that really represent the essential practices of the Christian life. They've been used by Christians and followers of Christ since the the advent of the church. They're not complicated, but they do require intentionality. And the invitation for us today is for us to consider how we might individually and communally renew our commitment to Christ and the ways of Christ and Christ's body. Most of these things, by the way, are baked into the expectations that we have for members of Second Baptist Church. Not things we want from you, things we want for you. Which in its essence is for the life of Christ to be formed in you. And the practices are this. We'll look at this together. Worship and prayer. Would you consider committing regularly to worship? Both as an individual daily in your life through prayer and weekly through worship together. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim God's handiwork. The sense that we get from Psalm 19 is that when we join together in worship, we are joining together with all of creation to do what we were created to do. It forms us when we worship. Will you commit to planting your life in the renewing soil of worship? Number two, spiritual growth. Intentional study. The word disciple, you may know, appears 269 times in the New Testament. The word Christian appears three times, all in reference to Jesus' disciples. Being a disciple means being a student of Jesus. Being a student of Jesus is at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so, will you renew your commitment to being a student of Jesus? Will you renew your commitment to reading Scripture and studying Scripture on a daily and weekly basis, both individually and with a small group community? Will you renew your commitment to rooting yourself in the soil of God's Word? Number two. Number three, service. You see that there. We talked about calling last week. God has created you, redeemed you, is equipping you in specific ways. Will you commit to finding specific ways to serving Jesus in the church and beyond it in the world? Will you root yourself in the life-giving soil of service? Number four, generosity, giving. 
What you do with your resources reflects the priorities of your heart, and it can also shape the priorities of your heart. We know that the only thing Jesus talked about more than what we do with our money is the kingdom of God. What we do with our money, our resources, is a vital, transformative spiritual practice. Will you commit to rooting yourself in the soil of God's generosity? And finally, and this is one we actually haven't put in our expectations for church membership, but we probably should. Will you share your faith? Will you talk about your faith with people in your life? Will you express your faith in word and in deed? Will you invite your loved ones and neighbors and acquaintances to come to church with you to experience the life of Christ and the gospel in community? Will you consider rooting your life in the life-giving soil of evangelism? This is an invitation. How will you respond to it? Not just in general with your feelings in this moment, but we've put this in here for you to consider some specific ways in these moments of response that you might renew your commitment to Christ and the church. We consider that now prayerfully during this time of response.